Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Well, all the kids, you can be dismissed to Woodside Kids. Miss Cheryl, Miss Margie, have a great time of program for you to learn. I think I saw Isaiah was the character in his writings, prophesying Jesus. That's the focus of the Woodside Kids today. Well, I hope you have your Bibles with you. If you do, turn to the Old Testament book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 19. Here as we prepare for the celebration of the incarnation of God, uh, God's coming to earth as a man, um, uh, we're, we're looking at the promises or covenants that God has established as part of his redemptive plan. So as, as we started this the series, they're kind of like rest areas on this journey, this long journey of redemption. That God established this plan, as Eric mentioned, from the beginning of, of time, before time began. This plan of fulfilling his reconciliation of the world to himself. And it's a long journey to when he culminates this, this redemption. And throughout the biblical history, God would step down and speak to people and he would form with a person or with a people a covenant. A covenant is a, really it's a, more of a relationship. It's a promise made in relationship between chosen people where each would bear a responsibility. It's more than just a legal document. It was truly a relationship uh, that was formed around a promise. And so we're going to look at the promise given to Moses. We call it the Mosaic covenant. So as we begin, let's pray. Uh, Father, I pray that you would just open our hearts to understand a truth, Lord, that sometimes maybe may seem archaic, and yet there is such powerful relevance to our life. The plan of redemption, you started from the from the fall, from that first sin and that act of rebellion, Lord, you, you began to work a plan that would result in our spending eternity with you. And we're so grateful for it. Help us to glorify you, to honor you more because of our deepening our understanding of this. And maybe, Lord, there's somebody here who maybe for the first time, their eyes will be open to the power of your offer of forgiveness. And so be with us during this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you probably have experienced a swing of emotions when big things happen. You felt that? It can be something really good, like Christmas, right? You build up to it for weeks. You do your Christmas shopping. You look forward to the celebration. Then the celebration happens. How many here have had your big family celebration already? Anybody? Jones did. Yep. Ours is actually next weekend. Um, so we're looking forward to that. We're preparing for that. But here's a, something I found a few, a few of these years. You get so excited about it. It happens. It's great. And then a few days later, it's like, oh, man, 
for some reason, discouragement floods in, and maybe it's unfulfilled expectations. Maybe it's just the emotions going, going up and down. Uh, sometimes it's a graduation. You look so, so forward to it, and then it happens, and then a few days later, uh, you're, you're, you're feeling low. There's a very, um, very powerful example of this in the writings of Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass was a freed slave back in the 1800s, and he's written an autobiography. Many of you read this, read his writings in your history classes. Um, but here's, here's, a, um, here's a statement from, from his writings after he was freed from slavery. He says, The dreams of my childhood and the purposes of my manhood were now fulfilled. A free state around me, a free earth under my feet. What a moment was this to me. A whole year pressed into a single day. A new world burst upon my agitated vision. I've often been asked by kind friends to whom I've told my story how I felt when I first found myself beyond the limits of slavery. And I must say here, as I have often said to them, there's scarcely anything about which I could not give a more satisfactory answer. It was a moment of joyous excitement which no words can describe. We can only imagine. We can only imagine it. But just a few pages later in his journal, he records a time when he met a man who he knew as a slave. And now this friend, as they get reacquainted, began to warn him of the danger and realities of being recaptured. And many freed slaves now finding themselves as slaves again. And this is what he would write. A sense of loneliness and helplessness crept over me, covered me with something bordering on despair in the midst of thousands of my fellow men and yet a perfect stranger, in the midst of human brothers and yet more fearful of them than of hungry wolves. I had no home, had no friends, had no work, had no money, and without any definite knowledge of which way to go or where to look for relief. Few of us will know that big of a swing and experience that powerful of, a, of an experience that he and so many thousands of others have experienced. But I think we can relate to the excitement and the discouragement that big events can bring. And it's, it's kind of in that the up and now the down that God comes and speaks to his people the Jewish people, in Exodus 19. They had been delivered from slavery. And now here in Exodus 19, they were, not, they were three months out of deliverance. So th their hands would have still been callous from slavery. Right? Their scars would, their sores would, some of them would still be healing. Maybe they could still smell in their imaginations the, um, the musty or fishy smell as they walked through the Red Sea with, with billowing walls of water on either side. Maybe at night they would still see the floating bodies of the Egyptians coming up against the, the Red Sea as they paused and gave celebration. Three months of 
journeying through the wilderness where now they got hungry and thirsty. And maybe the memories they would have would be filled with misery and yet they would also think of predictability. That at least they knew what was going to happen the next day back when they were in Egypt. And now, what would happen? Would they move? Would they stay? Would they be hungry? Would they be fed? The uncertainty and the questions of, okay, so what now? Where are we going? What are we going to do? Is there a purpose for me? What's, what's happening? It's in this scene where you hear them murmuring and complaining and questioning and wanting to go back. And so God comes and steps down into them and God speaks through Moses. And he gives them a powerful word. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 1. On the third new moon, or the third month, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim, and they camped in the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness. There Israel camped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel. Now let's stop there. Before we go, just look at what he said. Just think of the moment. They journeyed for three months. They came to this wilderness of Sinai and at the foot of a mountain called Sinai and Moses went up to it. Don't think for a minute this is the first time that Moses ever walked on this mountain. I don't know if you, re- if you caught this before. Years before, Moses was, or months before actually, Moses was taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. And he led them to the wilderness of Sinai and went up, and it was on a mountain in the wilderness of Sinai that there is this bush that was burning, and he checked it out, and God spoke to him. So here's Moses now leading the people, watching the cloud lead him back to familiar territory, and calling him to that, to that same mountain where he saw the burning bush and heard the voice of God for the very first time. So for Moses, think of the significance of that. Oh boy, here we go again. Man, did I need this. Let's look what he said. Here's what God told him to say. He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Now, this is a series on the covenant, so there you could circle that word covenant and take notice of this because this is a significant moment. God is now stepping into this journey of redemption and saying, okay, I've got a new word. I've got a new relationship that I want to form with you. I'm keeping my covenant, and you will be my treasured possession. First of all, what we want you to see in this passage is that God saves his people to treasure them. 
He saves his people to treasure them. The text says that you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I carried you on eagle's wings. Now keep my covenant and you'll be my treasured possession. So he forms this relationship with a promise with the descendants of Abraham, the descendants of Isaac. And he's actually building on the promise he gave to Abraham. I don't know if you remember anything from last Sunday. But last Sunday, we talked about God's promise to Abraham and that covenant he formed with him. He said, leave your, fa your father's land and I will be your God. You'll be my people. I'll give you a land and I'll make you into a nation. I'll give you descendants. And that family will be a blessing to the nations. And Abraham believed. He left his father's land and went to the land God showed him. And God credited it to him for righteous, as righteousness. God says, that's faith. And because of your faith, I'm making you right with me. All right, that was God's promise to Abraham. Now, but, but remember, we mentioned that God also told Abraham, this land I'm going to give you, you're not going to live there. In fact, your, your family will experience 400 years somewhere else, but then I'll lead you to this land. And that's exactly what happened. They went back to Egypt because of the famine. Joseph and that story, right? Now they're in, in Egypt. God takes care of them. But then there rose a king that didn't know Joseph. And, and so that king of, of Egypt then put the, the, the descendants of Abraham into oppression, made them their forced labor, built this huge empire of the Egyptian nation and finally, God delivered them from that slavery, leads them out, now says to, to Moses, now, that covenant, we're going to build on that. Now I'm going to give you a promise. We're going to form a special relationship. You keep my covenant, and I will make you my treasured people. When he calls his people to himself, he does it in a way that assures them of their value to him. That God saves you and treasures you because you are his. When I was 10 years old, I got a, I, I forget if it was a birthday present or a Christmas present, but I got a present um, that started a coin collection. It was a little booklet, maybe you've seen them, maybe you've given them to your kids or grandkids. And, and there's places where you can put quarters in and dimes and nickels and pennies. And, and some of them are, are current uh, releases, some have dates of, of foregone years, and some have values, whatever. So and that was pretty fun. I started saving the coins that we found in the ground and, you know, gathering it from my parents' dresser and such things. And I was collecting these coins. Well, as a 10-year-old, after a few months of doing that, my grandpa pulled me aside. He said, come here, I want to I give you something. So he went into his den and he opened his, his, his desk and reached in a drawer and he pulled out a coin. He pulled out this coin. And he said, I want to add this to your collection. He said, it's, I got it when I was a young man and I decided to hang on to it and give it to one of my descendants. And I want you to keep it. So I looked at it. It's from 1921. It looks really old. 
And I thought, well, that's really cool. And then as I, I, I aged, I began to hear stories of Grandpa's life, that Grandpa was a hobo. I mean, he ran away from home as a teenager, and he began to ride the rails. He was one of those, you know, Polar Express kind of thing, right? Where he gets on this, he hops on a boxcar, and he goes wherever he goes. And he bums food off of people, and stole a bit and enjoyed the food. He met lots of interesting people and, and saw the country. And, um, and then, he, then he came back to town. He got a job, talked about his jobs in the bowling alley, setting the pins, right? You know that people had to do that at one time. He worked in a pool hall, learned to shoot a pretty good game of pool, got a steady job, married my grandma, Eventually bought some real estate, found Jesus, gave his life to Christ, raised my mom to love Jesus, retired, and I got this coin. 1921. Do you know how much this coin is worth now? Probably a dollar. I, don't, I have no idea. I have, I have no idea. But you know what it is worth to me? It's worth a lot more than that. Why is that? Well, it's because true value is not simply a monetary value. Value is found in the affection of the possessor. Right? So this is important to me. It might not be important to you. But it's important to me. So this is valuable. God stepped down into humanity and saw a world that continued to rebel against him. He saw the mess. Every single person was a mess. And he stepped in and he chose one guy. And he said, I want to start something new, a new promise. And that was Abram. And Abraham put faith in God and he followed him. And that took him to a point and they were still a mess. So God steps down and he said, now... I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to do it in a way that you will, you will notice how it's like an eagle swoops in and lifts you up because how can you escape Egyptian empire? You can't. But we did. Through the miraculous, I delivered you on eagle's wings and I'm bringing you to this place and I want you to know I delivered you in a powerful way so that you would know how precious you are to me because I have chosen you. You come to today and you ask the question, okay, so maybe I'm not Jewish descent. Does this have anything to do with me? In the book of 1 Peter, in chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, to all those who have placed their faith in Jesus, who said, I'm forming a new covenant... He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of my treasured possession. Where he says to you, if God has called you into his family, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, he says, you are treasured. You are valuable in spite of what things have happened to you and maybe messages that say you're not worth it and, and you're not valued. Maybe as you measure your riches compared to other people, you say it's pretty low, pretty pitiful. God says, uh-uh, that's not how I measure worth. Your worth is found in me because my value, your value is based 
on my affection for you. If you ever question your value or worth, just think of the cross. He says to the, to the Jewish people in this covenant, if you ever question my value to you, think of how I picked you up out of Egypt and brought you here. In fact, the Passover. Every year, celebrate the Passover so you remember how valuable you are to me, how I picked you up and brought you miraculously to your land. He says to us, if you ever question your value, think of how I stepped down to this earth my son died on the cross in payment for your sin, and I picked you up out of darkness and brought you into my light. You are worth the life of the Son of God. That's how valuable you are. That God gave his son to die for you. He saves his people to treasure them. Secondly, Verse 6 continues, he says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Here's his covenant. He says, I'll be your God. I delivered you. You're my treasured possession, and you will be my priest. Here's the relationship. I'm your God, you're my treasure, and you are my priests. Now, what is a priest? A priest intercedes, right? He mediates. So they were a people that would mediate between the holy God and the nations of the world. God was calling them to represent him to the world as a light to the nations. He would give them his law. If you read now, beginning in chapter 20 and read onward, you would see a whole lot of regulations he's given to them. Some of them were religious laws. So as they built this house of worship, this tabernacle, and they did these sacrifices and, and procedures in their worship, they would all symbolize different elements of God's relationship with them and his plan of redemption. There were civil laws. So they would understand God's desire for living at peace with one another. They were laws that were so radically different from the rest of the nations where they would take care of the foreigner, they wouldn't oppress them, where they would take care of the poor, they wouldn't alienate them, where they would do justice, they would take care of animals, they'd take care of the land, they would take care of one another. All of this was so good. And it was God's way of advertising his goodness to the nations of the world. He says this, but there's a purpose to this. This isn't just because I've given crazy rules. This is because you are my priests. The, nation needs to, the nations need to know about me, and I'm revealing myself through you. You have a purpose. Now imagine you were a salesman, and on your job, you were given a credit card from the company, Right? That, would, that would support you as you're going out and getting clients and such things. You would have a clear understanding that this is, not this is not for the purpose of buying my family Christmas presents. Right? You know you'd get in pretty big trouble if you did that. What's it for? Well, it's probably to fuel maybe your company vehicle. Maybe it's to take clients out to lunch so that you can represent the generosity and the significance of your company well. 
You would use that card, maybe for expenses of the company, but it would be for the company, not for self-consumption. Well, God says that essentially to the nation of Israel, or to the, the descendants of Abraham. He says to them, you are my treasured possession, but it's for a purpose. It's not self-glorifying, it's me glorifying. You are a kingdom of priests. And again, in the new covenant that we're in, God has gifted us interestingly and maybe a little differently. He's given you gifts of the Spirit, right? Where some of you are equipped to serve Jesus in powerful ways, ways that kind of surprise you. He's given you time. He's given you resources to invest in his work of sharing the gospel to the community. He didn't give you a credit card and say, now just consume your life with all this stuff. He says, I want to bless you for a redemptive purpose so that more people can know about me. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood representing him to the world. Parents, what a huge responsibility we have to represent God to our kids. Grandparents, it's not just to spoil your grandkids. That's not the ultimate purpose of your life. The ultimate purpose of your life is to help them see Jesus. When we're on the job, it's not just to get promotions and, and um, you know, to, to have significance in our culture. It is to help the world know Jesus. Thirdly, in verse 6, verse 6 continues and says, you're the kingdom of priests and you are a holy nation. God knits his people into a holy community. It's God's purpose, and he does this in the Mosaic Covenant. He affirms the descendants of Abraham and says, now you will be a nation. Up to this point, essentially they were a family. Now, a pretty big family. But a nation, I mean, they had no land. They had no leader. They had no significance. Now God steps in and says, I'm going to make you a nation, a holy nation. They were, to this point, Israel was a dude. Israel was Jacob to this point, and they were the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who was called Israel. And so they began to find some identity with this Israel, but it was at the Mosaic Covenant that God steps in and says, now, Israel means a nation, not just a guy, not just a person. Now, it's a nation that I've called to myself. And so much of the laws that he gave to Moses in the Mosaic Covenant helped them live as a nation, caring for one another, collaborating together, working together under the theocracy of the leader of God. So now as a nation, they had a law. They had a leader. They had a language. They had a land. So now God says, this is huge. 
I'm stepping, we're stepping out of this, this question of who are we? You know, this is weird. Why are we traveling with family? Where are we going? He says, you're going to this place. I am making you a nation. In order to be a light to the nations, they had to be a nation. So he moves them along. It's, it's like that journey on I-75 all the way to Florida. You feel like you're never going to get there. It feels like things aren't changing at all. You left, it was 32 degrees, and now it's 37. You're already in Tennessee. How long? When's it going to get warm? And God says to Moses, it's moving. I'm working. You are now a nation. I'm called you to myself to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And again, it's a, it's a shadow, a foreshadow of the new covenant that would come. Because here's the thing. The Jewish people would fail at the covenant. God says, here's, what, here's all you're going to do. I'm going to take care of you. You just keep my, keep my law. It's all you got to do. Just keep my law. Then you'll be a kingdom of priests and you'll be a holy nation. And they didn't. They all failed. So God sent his son, not to abolish the old covenant, but to fulfill it. Another leap forward to say, I know it felt like forever. It felt like forever that you've been trying to live out the Mosaic covenant and been failing badly. Jesus steps in and says, because I'm the only one that can truly fulfill it. I'm the only true priest. I'm the only true deliverer and leader. So Jesus fulfills, and then he says, and I'm giving to you now a new covenant. In this new covenant, you're my chosen people, kind of like what God said to Moses. You are my, my, my uh, kingdom of priests, kind of like what he said to Moses. You are my treasured possession, kind of like what he said to Moses, but now it's full because I have fulfilled it. And in this community of faith that God has provided, he's given you the nutrition and the encouragement and the strength to benefit from this new covenant. Right? He's designed this new covenant in him to not just be a relationship between you and God because he formed a new nation. The cool thing about this new nation and the new covenant, it's not just based on biological genes. It's based on spiritual family. That God reaches down and takes people from all different nations and classes. And, and because they've united under Jesus, he brings them together as one family. And he says, now, live it out. Live out my new law. In the new covenant, we have a law. What's the law of the new covenant? Jesus said, a new law I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you. We have a law. We have a leader who is Jesus. We have a land that he's preparing for us. That's why Jesus left to go to, a, to his father's house and prepare us a place. And soon he'll come back and he'll bring heaven to earth and we'll forever be with, with God. He'll be forever be with us. So you're a new nation. So don't isolate. Don't try to live this out on your own. That's never been his desire. But instead, he says, find friends in my family. Encourage each other. Serve one another. Love one another. 
live out my law in this new covenant that I'm giving to you. So the questions for us today, first of all, have you embraced his offer of entering into the new covenant? Not the Mosaic covenant. Jesus fulfilled that. But, he enters, but have you entered into his new covenant where he says, I've done it all. I'm just, I'm just asking you to place your faith in me. Have you believed in Jesus? If not, this would be a great day for you to do that. Just know that we're all born broken and sinful and there's not any of us that has goodness in us that will save us from our sin. And we all need a savior. And that's what's so cool about John 3:16, for God so loved a handful of people, now he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So that if you believe in him, you can have life. So do you believe? Have you trusted in him? If you have, are you living as his priest? I'm not asking you to go ask for a collar in your stocking, a priestly collar. The, the question is, are you living as a representative of God to the world? As you value material things, as you treat one another, as you respond to people that mistreat you, are you representing the world, God to the world? And then third, are you living out your faith in community. We heard the story of the Detroit campus. And I love the multi-generational just image of that that we had in the screen. You know the easy thing to do? Get with people that are just like you and meet together. And that's so easy because you've got soccer that you can talk about. You've got the kids you can talk about. It's just shared experiences unite you. You don't need Jesus for that. But the cool thing about the family of God is that he brings young and old and smart and the rest of us. And, um, you know, there's people that have, um, that have culture and there's other people that drive pickup trucks. Not that you can't drive a pickup truck and have culture. You know what I'm saying. It's just such a variety in the body of Christ. And he says, there you need me. And I love to unite because as the world sees you uniting, they'll see my unity with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Mosaic Covenant, you probably haven't thought a lot about that, but it was a pretty sweet rest area in this journey of redemption, and it gives significance to all the things we see now. It gives significance to the Christmas story. It helps us know that this is all part of God's wonderful plan, and we can enjoy the new covenant today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for delivering us from our slavery, the slavery of sin. Thank you, Father, for waking us up from the dead. Lord, without you, we have no spiritual life in us. And so awaken maybe those in our midst or are hearing uh, and watching in the stream, Lord. I, I pray that if there are those that don't yet know you, I pray that you would quicken their heart, that you would stir in them, that you would plant in them the breath of spiritual life. May they respond to you, Lord, and accept your offer of forgiveness and cleansing, that they would become your child, and they would enter the joy of that new covenant. Lord, I thank you for working through human history, for giving us that ever-increasing reminders that you were at work, and you were doing something beautiful and profound, and we can be the recipients 
of all that work, Lord. We praise you. We thank you. Lord, as we live our new lives, I pray that we would live them with a fear of you. We would give honor to you in all that we do. Lord, as we are those raised, set free, delivered to now walk in your kingdom. We love you so much, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.